You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. So I'd like to welcome everyone to this edition of the Zeitgeist podcast from the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. Today's topic is not coronavirus or COVID-19. We're going to talk about tornadoes, not the weather phenomenon, um, but Germany's aging fighter aircraft. Uh, I'm very pleased to have with us today two of Germany's leading defense uh, experts. Uh, The first is Dr. Christian Möhling, who is the research director of the German Council on Foreign Relations, also known as the DGAP, uh, and retired Lieutenant General Heiner Braus, who is a senior associate fellow at the DGAP and who served for many years as NATO's Assistant Secretary General for Defense Policy and Planning. By the way, um, those of you who are regular listeners to the Zeitgeist will remember Heiner from episode three, where we talked about Germany's defense policy and NATO. Now, Christian and Heiner have written two excellent uh, analyses of Germany's fighter aircraft conundrum, um, and they will be linked in the show notes for this episode um, for further for further reading. So first of all, I want to welcome both of you. Welcome, Christian. Welcome, Heiner. Thank you very much. Welcome, Jeff. Good Thank to Jeff. see you. Thank so you. I, I, if I could ask at the start, where am I reaching uh, the two of you? I'm sitting, I'm sitting in Berlin uh, in the home office, I guess like, like 90% of the Berliners for the moment. And you, Heiner? I'm sitting in my office at home in Potsdam. Okay, well, I think that is definitely social distancing compliance yes. uh, for this episode. <laughs> that, that means uh, we're about 6,000 uh, kilometers apart. Um, so I think we're all safe in that regard. Um, so I wanted to start, uh, the, the, there was a report in the uh, German uh, publication Handelsblatt last week, which, um, which presented what could be an emerging solution to Germany's fighter uh, aircraft replacement. Um, according to this, uh, this report, the defense minister, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, who is uh, still the chairperson of the CDU uh, as well, um, she may not have made a decision yet, but uh, this, uh, this seems to be uh, an, an option that's taking shape. So my first question to the two of you, do you think this uh, outcome um, is, is the likely one? And that outcome is that uh, Germany would purchase uh, rather than purchasing a, uh, a single replacement for the ten- tornado fleet of 93 aircraft, instead Germany would purchase uh, about 45 uh, F-18s uh, built by uh, Boeing and uh, about 90 Eurofighters. Um, uh, is, that, is that what you think is the likely uh, outcome? Yes and no. So I think the likely outcome is the decision about the split that... Uh, Jeff just said, so the F-18 and the Eurofighters. But that doesn't mean that it will be purchased at the end of the day. Um, Because the fundamental thing is that this is a a principal decision in the procurement process. That is a kind of necessary formal step. But whatever is the decision by this government needs to be implemented by the next government. Um, And we have pretty many uh, examples where these kind of decisions have been revealed. Um, and this may be even true for the next government, which isn't a good signal, let's say, on the military side, possibly even not on the political side. 
but it means that the decision as such um, is something that um, will be put in question possibly by the next government anyway. Mm -hmm. I would agree about what uh, Christian just said. The positive development that appears to be to reflect a sort of uh, governmental consensus is the split of the, the fleet um, A, 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 a aircraft that could be considered to be a true tornado successor in all its four functions and uh, continuation and modernization of the Eurofighter um, and uh, that is perhaps the good development. On the other hand, I think we both agree that A, the, the decision has not been taken formally yet. It's just an indication that this will perhaps become a decision by the government. But we have heard that Chancellor Merkel has asked for coordination agreement by the Social Democrats, the coalition partner. And given the circumstances, the position of the Social Democrats vis-a-vis -vis nuclear sharing and uh, the tornado successor, it's not very likely that the decision will be taken or let me put it that the decision will be uh, implemented in a timely fashion so that from 2025, the successor to the Tornado airplane will be available. Okay, well, I, I think that um, uh, highlights uh, the politics um, uh, uh, of, of the issue quite well. And I think we'll come back uh, and get into that in a little bit of uh, detail. Uh, because it's a fascinating reflection of where Germany is politically uh, right now. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to ask the question um, about the, you know, to start off the, the roles that the Tornado aircraft uh, fill uh, in, Germany's, in Germany's defense, because uh, I think that's in some ways the key to understanding what a, a split purchase uh, might mean. So um, can, can, uh, can you say a little bit about the roles that uh, that these successor aircraft have to fulfill. And the tornado is is uh, capable of performing or fulfilling four key functions, which are essential um, in Germany's uh, uh, array of aircraft and assets, and also essential for NATO. The first one is conventional air-to-ground attacks, which cannot be fulfilled by the Eurofighter in the way the tornado has been capable of fulfilling up to now. The second is suppressing enemy air defense, which is an important function in the future or given the density and capability of the Russian air defense systems. The third one is the conduct of tactical air reconnaissance. Okay. And the fourth one, and in a way the most important one as far as the tornado is concerned, is the function as a dual capable aircraft, in other words, the capability to carry US nuclear bombs in case in a conflict, NATO decided to use this option in order to restore uh, deterrence in a conflict and to, uh, to, to, to end a possible conflict with Russia. And the fourth one is particularly important from a NATO point of view because uh, nuclear participation and nuclear risk sharing is one key component of NATO's nuclear deterrence agreed by heads of state and government. 
and Germany, since Germany as a central European nation plays a key role in performing that function, it is essential that the German government takes the right decision um, to, uh, to procure the tornado successor that could credibly fulfill this particular function. So um, uh, then I guess the first question that arises uh, when we look at the possibility of Germany splitting its decision to procure um, two different types of aircraft to fulfill those four roles that Heiner has just uh, outlined. Um, is there a single option uh, out there? Uh, you know, you've both written a, uh, a, a longer piece that uh, recommends Germany looking again at the F-35 um, uh, Lockheed uh, aircraft. Um, but, uh, or is this a, a circle that is hard for Germany to square uh, to fulfill all of these four roles? I'd say it's not necessary to have like one solution possibly to that. And uh, because there's a kind of a multitude of objectives that need to be fulfilled not only the military role, but also the industrial role. And the question of how do we gain technological innovation and technolog uh, technological sustainability uh, on the European soil and for Germany. So this may not be worked out with using only one uh, platform, especially US platform at all. Therefore, we have argued from the beginning on for a mix that helps us to fulfill the different objectives that always come with a major procurement. And this is a major procurement. We're talking about some billions of, of euros that Germany is going to invest. Uh, and we think it's possible to use two different types of aircraft possibly to fulfill the different objectives. So the, the nuclear objective or the dual capable aircraft and the electronic warfare parts on the one hand, and then at the same time use a European, that means a Eurofighter, further development to use it as a carrier for technological development and innovation. Because there is a long-term perspective in the development of um, military aircraft building in Europe, and that is towards having again a European platform, like the Tornado Wars, with the future combat aircraft system. Uh, and that's a long-term perspective, which I, as a European, basically support. Um, and so the question is, how do we strike the balance between the military needs, the industrial needs, uh, and also the political dimension, that is a transatlantic one here. How do we basically send a political signal towards the US um, administration by buying some of their stuff, which obviously to the current president is something which is important. So uh, if I could follow up on that, Christian, um, because uh, I, implicit in your description is that uh, a, it is important for Germany uh, and perhaps more broadly in Europe um, to, to maintain the industrial base, which I would assume in the German perspective is also seen as a part of military burden sharing. Um, uh, that, that that is an important aspect of being able uh, to respond uh, in a crisis, uh, uh, as well as to have indigenous European industrial capabilities um, in the defense sector. No, it's, it's a little bit more than that. I think it's, it's very much because of the current you know, political squares that we have between the US and Europe. It's the, the attempt uh, to stay as um, independent as possible from the US. Uh, Europe has lost, to a certain extent, this independence. Um, and it wants to regain a certain level of independence in the area of military, um, military aerospace. And that's the, the whole idea of uh, how can we have the best of both worlds, having a military capability that we need for the moment, 
because we can't produce it in the uh, in Europe um, by our own. So using the US as a kind of a, a stepping stone, uh, filling the gap until we can really build European aircraft for uh, dual capable missions and other areas by our own again. So it's not the kind of the, the technical operational uh, sustainability, but the long-term strategic industrial independence that Europe basically needs to be a good ally for the Americans as well. Understood, understood. Um, I wanted to come back uh, also to, to Heiner's description of the roles. Uh, and Heiner, you mentioned in particular um, the, 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 the most likely scenario in which these uh, aircraft would have to be used in a, in a European conflict um, would, of course, involve Russia. Uh, and Russia has uh, you know, significant and sophisticated uh, air defense uh, systems. It is strengthening its um, ability to deliver um, nuclear as well as conventional uh, weapons in the European theater. Um, so as you look at these different uh, options that Germany has for replacing the tornadoes, um, how do you assess their effectiveness against um, a, a Russian adversary, potentially? Yeah, before I uh, respond to that question, Jeff, let me just reinforce what Christian said. I think it is important for the American audience to know that Germany has an interest and also a responsibility to support and further and contribute to developing the European industrial base. Um, and the development of the uh, FCAS, the system of systems, is a means to achieving and, and doing that. This is not directed against the US, but it is understood in cooperation with the US. On the other hand, we have the, the responsibility, particularly Germany, as it is located in the center of Europe to contribute to credibility and effectiveness of NATO. And that means to do everything that um, contributes to um, making NATO's deterrence and defense posture, ensuring that NATO's deterrence and defense posture is credible and effective. And the nuclear component is a key component. And in order to um, achieve the necessary credibility in the Russian minds, it is important that we have the means that are capable of conducting those very demanding missions. Now to your question, Jeff. I mean, we are confronted since 2014 with a research in Russia and with, this, with the uh, this strategy to weaken the cohesion of the Western alliance and to destabilize our Western and uh, allied states from within and to be capable of intimidating us from the outside. And we are concerned about two concurrent developments. The first, first one is the increasing and growing Russian capability to achieve regional superiority, particularly in the Baltic region. And the second one is the deployment of this famous intermediate-range nuclear forces in the western part of Russia, which can effectively cover almost and strike almost every target in, in Europe if they are deployed, for example, in Kaliningrad in the western part of Russia. And the two factors together are particular concerning because it could lead the Russian leadership to believe it can achieve a fait accompli 
by a conventional, limited conventional attack in the Baltic region, but underpinned and covered by a nuclear threat. So how to counter those options which Russia is about to achieve vis-a-vis -vis NATO Europe? NATO decided in July last year a whole package of potential countermeasures, but the focus is clearly a conventional measures, such as enhancing intelligence and surveillance, re-establishing strong air and missile defense, but also conventional capabilities, such as, in my view, the long-range standoff, the deep strike capabilities, which could paralyze the Russian capability to conduct conventional war. Um, but they also decided not to deploy new nuclear weapons in Europe as we did in Europe 1997, the 79 or 82, the Pershing 2 and cruise missiles. Deliberately not. In other words, the Russian, the American B-61 gravity bombs that could be carried by European allied aircraft like the Tornado are the only single nuclear option in Europe and the embodiment, if you like, of the US-European strategic security relationship because they are a symbol of the United States taking responsibility and also risk for European security. And on the other hand, by storing and providing the facilities and, and the procedures and aircraft by European allies, it's a clear signal by the Europeans that they take the risk or partake or take, share the risk with the Americans. And this is a particular signal for the leadership of Russia that NATO's um, deterrence and defense posture is being supported by the North American and by the European allies together. And therefore it's so important that this particular capability is being seamlessly as the German defense minister expressed it in the United States, seamlessly being um, maintained and further developed. And, and then uh, when, you, when you look at the, um, you, know, you, you, you talked about the, um, you know, the air to ground role, the suppression of enemy air defenses um, and the reconnaissance role. Um, of course, uh, Russia's sophisticated uh, anti-aircraft um, uh, systems um, uh, make that a very challenging uh, task, especially for the Eurofighter and the uh, the F-18, neither of which are uh, stealth, uh, stealthy aircraft. Um, you know, if if Germany winds up settling on this solution, do you think it is one that allows Germany to carry out its NATO responsibilities effectively? I mean, you might have taken it from our articles, Christian, and my article that we believe that for quite a number of reasons, the most capable and the most efficient aircraft to perform such a mission, all four tornado functions and missions is the F-35. Um, and not only for the, the nuclear uh, part of the mission spectrum, but also for the conventional part, in particular given the strengths and capabilities of the Russian air defense systems, and what we call in NATO the anti-access air area denial capability, which is 
concerning from a NATO point of view because it could impede or delay, even interrupt conventional, the movement of conventional forces to reinforce our political Poland, Polish allies in case of a crisis or conflict. And the reason why we believe it's the most capable aircraft, it's a fifth generation aircraft. There's all the latest technological features that you need to perform such a range of demanding and difficult missions successfully. And one key feature is the stealth um, capability, which none of the other competitors has, neither Eurofighter, nor the F-18, nor the AIA uh, Growler. It is important because it is the, will be the US who have to certify the tornado successor for the nuclear mission. And this is an important criterion, in my view, for for the decision to be taken, which of these aircraft need to be uh, procured as a tornado successor. But let me ask Christian whether he would like to complement what I said. No, I think it's, it's, it's perfectly perfectly fine for me for the moment. That's uh, a perfect description on why we suggested to reconsider uh, taking this aircraft into into the uh, into the competition. All right, then. And I think if from there, perhaps we pivot to the politics, because um, that is, of course, a crucial factor um, here. Christian, you mentioned at the outset, first of all, that this may be a decision that is reached, but not actually um, you know, executed or implemented, um, and which I think is one uh, important uh, detail for us to, to delve into. And then the second thing that you referred to is, is the, the matter of um, uh, of the Social Democrats. Um, uh, they have a, uh, you know, Chancellor Merkel uh, is ruling in a coalition uh, and there are some leading Social Democrats who have said uh, they would not support uh, any American uh, option for um, the, the you know, taking the place of the tornadoes. Um, so how do you see, how do you see the politics um, of, this, uh, of this decision, uh, or this potential emerging decision playing out? It's, I mean, the, the politics of, of this uh, is that by the negative framing of any solution, so whatever we pick, even if we would pick a Eurofighter, it is ensured that nobody in the political space can win anything by taking a decision about this. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, social democrats have been very successful in painting uh, the US as Donald Trump, so making the same thing, and by that, any solution that comes from the US is the same or is the embodiment of Trump. And therefore, it's easy to paint even a more dark picture, darker, the darkest picture of all is buying um, US kit for the moment. Uh, and that all basically, as you see, comes more from the stomach than from, from the mind um, and is influencing the decision or the non-decision, also the non-decision making for a long time because the tornado decision isn't something that ne needed to be taken now, but it needs to be taken years ago, was basically nobody wanted to pick up this hot potato. And now we end up in a, in a situation where we can't, where we don't have the opportunities, all the opportunities to choose from a good menu, but we're basically under time pressure and, from the un and confronted with the unwillingness of the political realm of making a decision about these things, which ends up now in a situation where we take a decision which at the end of the day, will be postponed again, as, as it stands for the moment. 
And we will only decide in 2021, possibly, of what we are going to buy, or maybe even then not to buy. Uh, so it's, it's a horrible situation in terms of pushing, um, kicking the can down the road in this crucial, as Heine has described, crucial decision-making for the Germans as well as for all the other NATO countries. Um, one thing I'd like to add to this, and this is important for the whole dynamics, um, we, we are basically bringing together what, what, what is influencing the whole political calculation um, is the role that the future combat aircraft system is playing in here in the role of France. Obviously, uh, the French president has given a phone call to Mrs. Merkel saying that he doesn't want uh, an interference of American aircraft, so to say, into the whole uh, FCAS business uh, procurement uh, and development. The interesting thing here is uh, that, again, my country obviously has taken the French offer of a bargain of what is part of the deal as a rule of law from the French side, which is interesting because all the French sources I talked to said, yeah, that was an opening. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's about a package deal. Uh, and again, what we are proposing in the paper is a, a big package deal which incorporates the French interest, which is, of course, part of our interest. We have an interest of building this aircraft with the French together because we want to have them and keep them on board as one of the main uh, industrial powers. Um, but this is something that, you know, wasn't ruled out to have a bargaining uh, with the French over what is the best solution in here. So this is another dimension of why we are not possibly considering what is the best option in all the different uh, decision-making uh, dimensions. So industrial, technological, French, German, Franco cooperation, um, U.S. cooperation, NATO, and so on and so on. But why we are kind, kind of trying to boil it down to one decision, take this decision early, take a bad decision, and get it off the table. Uh, with the risk of this decision resurfacing again. So you see the politics, it's not only the social democrats, uh, and I don't want to blame all of them, you know, there are some people who are really kind of, you know, have a bright mindset on these things, and very clear-sighted on it, uh, but they may not the ones who currently take the decisions in the party. Mm -hmm. I see. And, uh, and, and so, are you saying then people in the United States who see news reports about uh, a, an, a forthcoming decision should discount them heavily, um, should uh, save, their, save their breath and wait for 2021 uh, in order to have the conversation again? Or um, how, uh, uh, where, would you put, uh, where would you locate us on that spectrum? I'd, I'd say the immediate answer would be yes. Uh, there is a probability that the decision, I mean, what we currently see the, since years, what we see in our decision-making on procurement is that you can't trust in it. We are revealing and revealing and revealing decisions on procurement. Um, and that has to a certain extent to do with the kind of uh, the priorities um, that some people in government or in parliament may have. Uh, so from that point of view, I would say, yeah, let's, let's wait and see how the, whether this decision is really going to be implemented. There is a risk that it will be implemented because it's a decision that a successor of the current minister and of the current government don't have to open up again which is a virtue on its own, because it means that you can say, this is a decision that has been taken by the last government and I'm just implementing it. So you don't need to unpack the nuclear package, which is by definition a toxic one. Um, this is the, the opportunity for the next government to just get it off the table and live with a military solution that may be suboptimal, but you know, at least politically from a domestic point of view, it's done. Um, however, 
At the same time, there is a kind of, some people have said in, in government and ministries, we are, basically, we are basically rolling the dice again when the opportunity for a good solution is better than it is for the moment with the current government, uh, which I found a very interesting quote uh, from those people. Perhaps I can add that I think it's realistic to note that also in this regard, Corona is playing a role. Um, I mean, we have just discussed this morning, Christian and others and I, the possible implications of the Corona crisis in economic terms for Germany and Europe and, and the Western Alliance. And the risk that we will soon envisage or have a discussion in Germany about the financial implications, and that would then concern also the German defense budget. In this current climate, and you, you might have, have noted that AKK, the German defense minister, initially wanted to publish a decision in this month. Then we were told she would visit Büchel, where 20 of the, allegedly 20 of the nuclear bombs are located, and, and, and visit this uh, facility, and then announce her decision there. The, the visit has been cancelled. And mm -hmm. we have got indications that there is no interest by the government, um, neither by the chancellor nor by the coalition partner, not even by the opposition, now to come out with a decision about a costly procurement project, which is, in inverted commas, contaminated because it's of a nuclear dimension. In these times where everybody is talking about the terrible implications and risks associated with the coronavirus, not only for public health, but also in terms of Germany's economy and the implications for Europe. So I think there is an, an um, inclination in the political Berlin to postpone any such decision and postpone any such publication of a decision to a later point in time. This is a risk, as Christian and I have already outlined, and an opportunity at the same time. The risk has been described by, by Christian, and uh, there is indeed a risk that the decision might be taken too late, too late for replacing tornado from the beginning of 2025. It could have additional financial implications. But the opportunity is that we could, once the corona crisis has, has uh, ended, hopefully, and uh, we, under the new government, we could have a thorough discussion about the security implications and the nuclear participation and risk sharing, which is essential for NATO to function and to remain credible. There's also a glimmer of opportunity, if you wish, to have such a structured discussion again in 2021. Okay. Well, I think that is the perfect place for us to wrap up our conversation. Um, I think uh, for a few things I take away. One, never take things at face value. Um, second, there are some opportunities there uh, that we will have to keep in mind uh, as, as we look ahead to the 2021 election cycle in Germany. 
Um, and but the the fundamental um, uh, thing I take away from this is that I leave every conversation with Christian Milling and Heiner Braus feeling better informed, and I hope our listeners will as well. So I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us, and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you very Thanks, much. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.